0: Welcome everyone to our first ever episode of Stage Right. I'm your host, Sierra Haynes. My goal is to bring you along on a journey inside the minds and lives of some of Canada's most exciting playwrights. Alright, so how this show is going to work is twofold. First, I've picked five playwrights that I'm curious to speak with, and then those playwrights pick another playwright that inspires them. Whatever you're doing, we've got a story for you. This is Stage Right. first episode, I thought I'd stick close to home here on the Saskatchewan Prairies. I've invited Artistic Director of Gordon Tutusis Naganoan Theatre in Saskatoon and playwright in her own right, Jennifer Dawn Bishop, to sit down with me. Jennifer is a Métis artist of the Treaty 6 Territory. Her journey with the Saskatchewan Native Theatre Company, now Gordon Tutusis Theatre, started when it first opened its doors in 1999 with the Circle of Voices program. Continuing her passion in the arts, Jennifer's most recent work includes directing for stage, screen, and audiobook with Penguin Random House Canada. Her play, Shadow Among the Prairies, had its world premiere presented at the new Shakespeare on the Saskatchewan site in 2021. Together, we discuss identity, belonging, cultural discovery, and what it means to create an artistic and personal legacy. Before we jump into our conversation, I'd like to give you a little bit of context for the shows that we're discussing in today's conversation. There are three of them. Iskateo. The story of Raven, a young Indigenous woman with a lifelong dream of becoming a mixed martial arts MMA champion. Having been invited for her first professional match, she intends on traveling to Montreal for her MMA fighting debut, if she can get past the obstacles on her path. Shadow Among the Prairies. We walk among shadows all the time. Even when we are alone, we always feel something near. A woman, Elaine, awakes to a disturbing limbo full of shadow beings, shadows that were once living humans. Elaine must find her way through this shadowed in-between world with no memory of who she is or how she died. Elaine's only companions? A young half-crazed woman that died in the 1930s and an old friend from the past. Can each of them find the light, or will they fall further into darkness? Gordon. A simple meeting at a local coffee shop becomes a turning point in the preservation and celebration of Indigenous story. One man's passion and dedication inspires others to continue his legacy. All right. Hi there, Jennifer Dawn Bishop. This is so exciting. (laughs) Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you. Right before I pressed record, we were sort of talking about uh, a show that you opened last night. Could you tell me about it again? (laughs) Yeah, actually, it's
1: part of our Circle of Voices uh, production program that we run every year, and this year's show is called You Didn't Hear It From Me by Natana Spare, and it was debuted directed by Ezra Forrest, both of them being uh, Circle of Voices alumni, and it's uh, about these three students in the school and just trying to understand their identity, but also, uh, you know, keeping up with the the, the media and, and viewers. And also there's someone that's new that comes to the school and kind of like throws mm-hmm. their world in a little bit of a twist.
0: And so the Circle of Voices is a program for Indigenous youth, right? Yes, correct. It is actually a program
1: that started back in 1999 and this is where i feel the oldest and youngest in the company because i was actually in the very first circle of voices program and i was actually 13 years old when i did the program and for me it changed my life not only did it introduce me into theater but also uh, the cultural aspect as well because that is something that uh, i did not grow up um knowing or practicing so I really had a disconnect from my identity and the program helped with all different areas of learning the the arts and indigenous storytelling Mm -hmm. and I think the concept of uh, that idea came from I think behind the scenes of uh, Big Bear that had Gordon Datusis and a few others so they were just on break and like we we don't have anything like anything for our, our Indigenous youth out there. So from from that moment, the concept of let's create a program. And I was uh, part of that very first program, and it's been going since 1999. And this is our 19th uh, year of holding the program.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. It must it certainly changed your life, and I'm sure that it's changing so many other people's lives. That's amazing. It has. It is something
1: that's uh, very near and dear to me. And I don't know where I would be today if it wasn't for that program. Mm-hmm. And because of how much it did for for me, I want to make sure that we continue that for our next uh, generations of youth and giving them that opportunity. So, And that's also why I'm still with the program. Uh, yeah. I mean, the- company. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so I did read up in an interview I think it was a CBC interview from 2017 where you're quoted as saying I had no idea about the cultural aspect of my background. Do you mind digging into that comment a little bit more for me and explaining oh yeah how Circle of Voices helped you? Well even just
1: it, it really started with uh, when I was filling out the application and uh, I took it home and I asked my mom I was like mom what does this mean? It says uh, uh, in First Nations, uh, Métis, and, you know, just et cetera. And she said, oh, you mark Métis. And I said, okay. But I really didn't ask uh, what that really meant. Um, I had no connect with it. I didn't know that there was a difference. So after sitting in the the program and discovering this whole side of me, because my parents wanted us to make our uh, own decisions. They did not want to force religion or anything like that on us. Like they, them both uh, (laughs) being from (laughs) their background. they were raising some free thinkers. (laughs) Free thinkers, which I am very grateful for, but it's also left me on this path of kind of piecing together uh, who I am and finding parts of myself.
0: And so what was something that uh, stuck with you or that you quickly felt uh, you held on to once you entered the program? Uh, For me, a
1: sense of belonging, Uh, Mm -hmm. a a place where I was just present and just accepted. You know, I wasn't – because I went through a lot of – low self-esteem, went through a lot of uh, bullying, so I really wasn't someone that never stood up for myself or felt like I belonged, like I had a couple of friends, Um, and it was just different when I did the program and just, you know, like feeling like that this whole other family and home was created. And it was something I look forward to doing, even at that young age, like forget sports and all those other things. I just <laughs> I would wait there at the school for the program to start because I just happened to be going to that school. And that was where they held the oh, that's program. Awesome. So, yeah, I didn't even go home. I just stayed. What a stayed. perfect extra curve.
0: <laughs> For sure. <laughs> nice. So I see that you were a shy kid. How did doing theater bring you out of your shell? it really
1: brought up, uh, just like all the, like this confidence, not overconfidence, but having that ability to like get up, uh, perform and speak in front of people. Cause I never did that before. Uh, I'd never mm-hmm. learned about, you know, even just thought about like learning lines to perform in a play. So Not only was it just, like, uplifting to myself as an individual and just having that confidence, not necessarily if I was going to do other theatre programs, but just as an individual and learn to just express what made sense for myself. So, and Mm -hmm. then just this need to, like continue to find a journey of my my cultural background and identity. So it is a little bit of a, a a mix. But those were the certainly the two things that I've held on to for so long.
0: What was your first uh, experience like in a theater? And I mean, it could be your, your first time going to Circle of Voices, or it could be your first time seeing a piece of theater anything like that that stands out to you
1: I mean I think from what memory recalls is that we would have a kind of like a class trip to going to another theater but for us it wasn't necessarily a theater it was just us going down the block and watching uh the high school play at Bedford um mm-hmm. so that was my first introduction into theater I don't quite remember what show it was because, it you know, at that age, I was, I really didn't have much of an interest. It was just like, why, you know, I was like, okay, we're, we're out of school. We're going to a we're play. Going,
0: we're not doing school. So that's why <laughs> so We're going to see a show.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that was a little bit of, of uh, as far as going out and experiencing uh, shows was just going to a high school play. And I'm sure there might've been other things along the way. So I really didn't have a whole lot of introductions into the art. And so none of it uh, grabbed at me because I couldn't uh, connect with it or have an understanding or an appreciation. So uh, doing the program made me look at things a little bit differently. Okay. So I remember they wanted us to bring something personal to us to express about ourselves. And I was very into writing uh, poetry and drawing little pictures. And so I I brought those with me. And it was a little bit nervous because, you know, I was meeting, uh, of course. sitting down with her, sitting down with uh, the AD at the time, Kenneth Charlotte. Um, and I, I, sh- I just shared who, you know, the little bit, I was familiar about myself with them. And uh, then they said I was accepted into the program. And yeah, to say the least, that I'd never felt so accepted in that moment in my entire
0: life. It was such a great feeling. Mm -hmm. There is something about sharing a precious object. Mm -hmm. Or it feels like you're sharing a part of yourself. And when that's welcomed, it's relieving and so affirming you know and it it really is because it
1: was things that I just kind of like kept to myself doodling in my book and or just like I would write poetry about anything but I also just didn't have the confidence or feeling like I could share those things so whenever we Every day that we started the program, we'd have a sharing circle and we could share anything we want, whether it was about our day, what we were going through, a place where you could just be honest and open and just, you know, just being heard. And I used uh, a lot of that because I didn't have much to talk about or I didn't want to talk about how I was being treated at school, how my day was going. So instead, mm-hmm. I would just bring fresh poems that I had written dr- throughout the day and, uh, share it with the group and it was such an amazing there's feeling there's
0: something empowering about being able to leave behind in a sense what's bothering you and mm-hmm. bring forward what brings you joy and share that and have that received really well I understand that
1: yeah and even though like because you're also self-conscious because you're not exactly like at that age I wrote all sorts of uh, different things and you know not all of it was uh light it was bit dark but that's what I felt like expressing and I didn't want to share that with the you know like fellow classmates at the time either because I thought for sure that I would have the school or someone being worried about me when sometimes it was just something I felt like writing and I didn't want to feel like Mm -hmm. I was being judged and the only thing I would share is like whether it is about flowers or Something like
0: that. (laughs) Something seemingly (laughs) inconsequential.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that they wouldn't call my parents up, like, "Hey, your daughter brought this to the school. We're a little concerned."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. So, when did you decide that theater was something that you were gonna make a full go of? You know, your career. How did you make that choice? Honestly,
1: my first day in the program after Mm -hmm. meeting everyone sitting there in the very first day it and I I tell this to a lot of people is that something just clicked I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life how I wanted to pursue it because it just held such a place in me and I knew that I had to work my my butt off to come back to the place that I felt the most connected in so whether it was like stepping up in like working harder in in school, learning to multitask better, I I had a goal. Like I loved doing my other side sports and stuff, but ultimately this felt like my dream, my my passion that I wanted to pursue since that first
0: day. That is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Um And how is it now to be part of a team that changes the lives of people like yourself when you were younger? It's sort of a full circle moment.
1: Hey? It is. And I, you know, sometimes I'll come across that woman comes full circle, like, yeah, they're they're not wrong. I mean, it's certainly <laughs> it's it it's certainly so many different feelings at once because I also didn't know that I would become artistic director someday.
0: <laughs> no, you can't know that at
1: thirteen. <laughs> no, not at all. I just knew that at the. To- come continue working uh, with the the company and they were so generous like and how I like my first taste into working with other youth came when I was like I think I was like 16 years old during the summer and they said we're starting up this performers playhouse camp where we go out to the different communities and hold uh, a theater camp for for kids for the week so you know doing different theater activities and then they get to put on a little mini play at the end for the community so that was my first taste into actually facilitating uh, theater programs at that age and was so much fun and even that felt like a partial semi-circle and then making my way around (laughs) to being full circle and I just knew even though I knew that this this title was going to be a big job and me also having that fear of like I don't have like that experience that a lot of other individuals have like diplomas, degrees, BFAs like I didn't have those sort of things so I was just like what you know like how will I hold such a a a title but then I just kept thinking about See The Circle of Voices program, because it's always uh, been something that I that I fight for and remembering my experiences, how I went through the program and just knowing that someone that's that that's been through it and knows that understanding to to help mm-hmm. guide the way and let them know that they'll always have a place to be accepted, ex- expressing and telling their the stories that they want to or help uh, build a story based on an idea of what's going on in the community and I I know I jumped right to AD because I was also I started out with as the mentee artist position to uh, circle voices coordinator so that was like also a big change in my life and then from there a little bit of artistic associate for a short while and then right to uh artistic director. so it's been a bit of a over 20 year journey to get around in that circles (laughs) yeah of course doesn't (laughs) happen right away yeah
0: (laughs) I can't imagine what it would feel like to be part of a legacy in such a involved way And I'm sure all the people that work with you and all the kids that are coming through the program now absolutely feel loved and taken care of by this program. And it's so wonderful to have you leading it.
1: And I I certainly do the best that I can. And I'm not saying it's always uh, perfect and I make my hiccups and step mistakes Mm -hmm. along the way. But it's also me working harder to not let that happen and always know that I'm I'm there for the program because I... We do many productions, and I love everything we do. But I consider the Circle of Voices the heart and soul of mm-hmm. the company, and that's what helps yeah. um, lead me in my 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 journey now.
0: Well, in a way, yeah. That that program um, informs the future, right? So, oh,
1: absolutely,
0: it does. All right. Should we move on to some story <laughs> stuff? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> um, so what kinds of stories do you like to listen to? The kinds of stories. I have a bit of a variety.
1: I mean, I certainly mm. love the, the the supernatural, personal stories, a little a, um, I'm I love many different genres. I'm not... As huge of a musical fan, but I still like to go and admire all the work that goes behind it. Um, but yeah, I just I just love the mix. I love the mix, and sometimes I don't know
0: what I love until I go watch the show myself. That's fair. Sometimes you see something amazing for the first time and you're struck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and would you say that the stories that you write follow the same? veins as the things you go and seek out and listen to and watch uh, somewhat Genre, style
1: yeah somewhat like because it's always been a fascination of mine but it's always uh, from a place of family that I've noticed with with my my writing it's the 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 grit and the, mm. there's something so personal uh, about it so it's always something yeah it's always family oriented I notice from from my end whether it's from my dad's or my mom's side influences and then uh, sometimes it's just weird of like how am I going to tell this story and not just it being feeling like an autobiography or anything like that mm-hmm. uh, I'll start to picture some place of where the story takes place or if I'm given an idea of like here's some of the things we want you to think about and it'll formulate and I'm like, okay, is this going to be somewhat of the real world or is this going to take place out of the real world? Um, yeah. So I noticed that I've always had like a little bit of a, a no matter what um, genre I have, it always comes from a, a place of family and exper- personal experiences.
0: I, I guess family in the sense of, you could be related by blood but also family as in friends that are family oh absolutely Would you
1: say? yeah mm-hmm. I could certainly say that parts of my life and or even a brief um, moment or meeting uh, with individuals along the way kind of stick with me and that somehow makes it into my stories or if I have friend a couple of friends that have always been very near and dear to my heart, I somehow kind of do a little bit of a shout out to them in, in certain characters, whether it's through a name or a nickname or a little do small you have, Do you have
0: a specific shout out that you can share with her audience
1: like a little easter egg <laughs> a little easter egg um yes actually but i okay. cannot tell which family member this happened to uh that's okay because <laughs> i think this family member will like go like this like don't you dare I'm like uh i would say that it, that shot easter egg happened in the first circle of voices program i wrote which was i mean the play uh Mm. there was a scene in there where uh the character was asking for butt wipe because there was nothing in there and he said I found one of your socks and used it so with a certain family member they they were visiting their um partner at the time and they were not used to eating spicy food and this person did not stock up on toilet paper and they had nothing to give give my family member except a sock. So I kind there you of, go. yeah, when there wasn't enough time to for this character to jump into it because he was doing a dual role. So I needed to find something to help fill that gap to give him a chance to change costumes. So therefore that memory popped in my head and that kind of influenced that uh, bridge there a little bit so
0: That's awesome. there we go you heard it here first folks there's your easter egg there's your jennifer Don bishop easter egg i love it so so obviously when you're starting to write a show you're usually thinking about your family or family situations mm-hmm. how do you narrow down or decide which idea to extrapolate on
1: i guess it depends on like what the the themes were addressing in that show like usually with the circle of voices the ad will come up with a, a concept or something that's influence of what's happening out in the community and use that as a Base And theme to start the next story. So at the time, our artistic, our former artistic director, Curtis Petitous, I believe it was like an opening night party of the Postmistress by uh, Thompson Highway. And we were mm, at one of that's the a beautiful show. Uh, Right. And it mm-hmm. was actually, yeah, like it was just in that kind of like reception where he was like, uh, I have some themes that I'd love to tackle in the next year's Circle of Voices production. And he's like, I, I'm really interested in the themes of um, mixed martial arts, indigenous women and mental health. And I remember saying, oh, that's such an awesome idea that would be so cool because we've you know tackled homelessness we've uh, tackled uh, addictions all sorts of things so this was something that would that we haven't um touched upon so uh i was like oh i wonder who's gonna ask it's gonna be awesome but then like not too long later i was preparing food for our circle of voices program because i was the coordinator at the time and he asked mm-hmm. if I wanted to to write the story. And at first I laughed because I thought he was kidding. I and then no yeah, <laughs> I, I thought he was kidding and I was like, uh, can? can I sit on that? Can I, can I get back to you? And he said, absolutely. And I, because I was nervous because of how much that program always meant to me. And I just wanted to be able to live up to that legacy. It felt important to me. I didn't want to mess it up uh, or at least do it justice. So after sitting and chatting with a, a few friends, I felt confident of saying yes so I gave him my answer and I started to work I started to think about all right I've never I'm not familiar with mixed martial arts styles I'm you know and I, we certainly have a history of mental health uh goings-ons in my family so I actually sat down with my dad a lot because um, I don't mm. remember a lot about my uh uh my my grandfather, my mushim, um, but he had a lot of um, mental health issues, and they were. It was never. Uh, he never went to the doctors or anything like that. So he had certain um, behaviors. He was. He was also a scary man when he, you know, was in those fits, and and I also understood the because uh, sometimes I went through those moments of like, what if I have. Uh, something that's, you know, passed down uh, through my bloodline of like mm-hmm. having having those because I I just didn't know. So I really took uh, that with me and sitting, sitting down talking about his behaviors and learning more. But it wasn't just those stories. I kind of wanted to also do uh, research uh, about the different aspects of mental health and And so I did a lot of research while I was also uh, living in Regina at the time because I was part of the Globe Theatre Conservatory program. So aside from doing that, I was also going to the library and just like signing out all these different books on mental health, these medical books. I look like a medical student,
0: I'm not going to lie. You have to learn so much to discuss anything that you're writing about or yeah acting or
1: even if it doesn't quite end up in in the actual written text it's the what what's the meaning uh behind it And i kind of wanted to see if i can pinpoint uh what exactly uh was uh was happening with my my mushum so uh did not write specifically in the show of what it was because, you know, that was also years ago. And because he didn't go see anyone, I couldn't just, I was not comfortable giving them a diagnosis even in the story itself, but elements that I know people would relate to, or even just those fears of having that pass on to you and changing you.
0: So this process, you're obviously doing a lot of research and, um, you know, interviewing, discussing with the family members that you're Mm -hmm. sort of inspired by for a particular piece, are you a big scribbles everywhere kind of person or are you a methodical, this happens and this happens? Like, what's your building process for structuring a story well what help
1: help with the structuring is having my dramaturge at the time and uh just asking or and just also remembering other little workshops I've sat in with other playwrights uh, you know like mm. Ken Williams and them and just like the layout of like how you are going to tell the story and although I did certainly use that method I would sometimes deviate with like scribbles so there was things that I knew I wanted in in the story I just didn't know where to put them yet so uh, I but I knew how I wanted to start the story I knew how I wanted to end the story what was chaos was just my notes and just lining them up and I kind of think it worked well it was almost like a process of you know just almost like the squirrel kind of thing
0: Mm. So sort of like knowing the rules to building a story, but then also giving yourself the freedom of inserting something that doesn't necessarily fit inside the rules, but because you want it there.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I know one of the most important uh, like and I've heard this from a few different playwrights and dramaturgs is that if you are When you are creating a world, you are also being, you have to be clear on the rules that are part of this world and following them, however that Hmm. journey may be. So if you go against the rules that you've set, then you're already contradicting yourself uh, of sorts.
0: How does building a world within reality affects that i mean for your other piece shadow Am- mm. among the prairies that's very you know you are building a world that no one has seen before but in escateo you're playing in a world that we can all relate to because we live in it in mm-hmm. a way Absolutely. so how do you how do you think about rules in in, in reality
1: well in the Reality of that you know because of the fact that it was taking place in the real world I was also just kind of like thinking about what would not fit and what would and there is a big difference between my my writings of the world of like Iscateo and Shadows Among the Prairies and uh, but I'm also following the rules of of life I guess if if that Mm. makes any sense Mm -hmm. because I know that there was uh, no supernatural effects uh, to this one and also making sure that I'm realistic thinking about the, the characters that are in here and their abilities of they wouldn't be able to do this, but they can do this because, you know, I could see that actually happening. So even with the the lead character of of Raven and uh, also sitting down with uh, some mixed martial arts uh folks which they were really kind enough to sit down with me and kind of understanding th- their limits and also what my character's capabilities are and i and it is a lot easier to write when something's in contemporary time whereas shadows mm-hmm. you're writing very real people in an unreal world and that's that's always a nice like difference I guess and even if the Mm. world of Iskateo uh, it's not in 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 a shadow realm but it is a world that everyone could it's realities that you can put yourself in or that you've experienced along the way shadows took a very long time to to write because that was a care and you're only speculating and creating Um, Mm -hmm. so it's 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 harder to take the time to write something that's out of the world than what's in the world i need a starting point and then for myself i need an end point of how i want to end the show so i for me those two things are clear but what's the work Mm. is the journey in in the middle um inside yeah the the inside because i know that's going to take a while i knew exactly where they wanted to end at the end I very much appreciate uh, collaboration or other artists' thoughts and stuff. So that could help solidify with what I present to them. But, um, yeah, it feels very much, yeah, like just it's it, it's my process. And I never really realized that's, you know, that I had to think back. I'm like, how did I do these? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the podcast about playwriting is what make you think about but what is my process? Um when you're writing a show, how often, if at all, do you think about blocking on the stage?
1: Uh I thought about blocking a lot for Iskatel because I knew it was going to be a very very moving like body, you know, Thing. So when I thought about how the actors would block, is normally, you know, like, oh, well, you know, the director will fix that to be uh, realistic, and how I was even just like writing out the things to help with the blocking. So I very much thought about that with with that process because I wanted to make sure. um, So I would actually do some of the moves myself, the different kind of like uh, martial arts moves. Like there's like so much out there. So I did the research on moves that I thought that an actor could at least pull off or uh, Hmm. leaving the option of if there's something that they weren't able to do, that they can add it in themselves so i would just kind of go with the basic all right i think they can do this combo if i can't do it i'm certainly not gonna write that in for that actor to not be able to do it so uh that was kind of like a, a hands-on process for for myself um how did you come to the mixed martial arts in this piece oh right yes uh so And I think I mentioned it earlier, like I was never familiar with mixed martial arts much. So aside from just going up online and kind of finding out the, you know, looking up the different moves and also just kind of doing a focus on, all right, I got to look at the different female mixed martial arts or MMA fighters. And I was lucky enough to come across uh, one name in particular, which was Charmaine Not-So-Sweet-Tweet who happened to live in Regina, which was perfect because I was going to be out there for the four months of the conservatory program because I really wanted to get an insight from an actual individual to help like really build this character of Raven. So I wrote in, yeah, I was like looking up the different moves and then I Try it out, look at the tutorial. If I couldn't do it, then I'm like, that's coming out of the script. (laughs) And just having this better understanding. And uh, I was like, all right, I wonder if I should just try to see if she would grant me an opportunity to chat with her. And the only way to get a hold of her was through the Facebook uh, Messenger. And so I did let her know. I was like, this is who I am. I am writing this show, and I really want to do justice to what that world is like. But I I also understand if you get all sorts of messages from different <laughs> people. So I t- pretty much take no offense if if you the don't answer. The little
0: DM slide. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, because yeah, like, I could understand. Try to reach out. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's probably lots of different fans or however, you know, however that is for uh, for someone in that position and I was just very surprised to have her reach out back to me and I was just so excited she she said you know like you your your message seemed honest I you know it wasn't uh, overstepping and she said I will absolutely have a coffee with you so we did. Mm. Well, during my one day off, <laughs> a week, uh, we met up. Yes, and, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. So I got to sit down with her. And oh, was she just such an, a generous human being? And I, even before meeting her, I watched a couple of her fights, you know, because she was fighting Ronda Rousey. She also told me about when she fought Chris Cyborg, uh, Latoya Walker. Uh, like, I was just like watching and just amazing. And so it was interesting sitting down and talking about, you know, she gets all sorts of either like good fan, fan love or guys that, you know, derogatory or just like, hey, come fight me or, you know, please, please come kick me in the crotch. I want that so badly. So it was just phenomenal. A lot of it's coming out of their own pockets. They're doing their not only like massive amounts of training they're also uh working their butts off to save up money to get themselves to that fight and they also have to pay for the flights of uh, and and accommodations of their coaches which you know for some of them they have more than one because they're in different areas of a fighting style so and even if they do win, unless you're one of those top high names, you're not getting much. You're just doing it for the love of your, your passion. You're literally fighting to do what you love uh, best. And I really wanted to try to honor that in, in the story, or or bring it up. Was that it's just not, you know, you're working hard, to be in the the thing that you love to be in the world. of The thing
0: that you love. Would you say that you write for the stage or do you write to tell the story that you want to tell and solve the stage problems later? Both. Definitely both.
1: (laughs) But I also (laughs) like that if you don't always um, get descriptive, it also gives those designers or other readers a chance to explore the space and come Mm -hmm. up with something that maybe you know so you're not always just giving them the answers of how to do something but also giving them a chance to collaborate and problem solve and i knew it would be a challenge being in the world of uh, of shadows among the prairies of limbo um and see where they wait, where they take that because it's so vast in in the story, anyways. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it always seems to be a bit of a bit of both.
0: How does workshopping affect your writing? I mean, for me, it. Totally changed everything when I would bring a draft in, and then people would all of a sudden be saying my words, and I'd be like, "That's not how I thought that would be said," or you know, how does how does that affect you when you get those workshops going?
1: Um, it's always still for me like it's always a mind trip for sure because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you're you know, like it's your things that you've been. Speaking or writing out loud in your brain And then when you have someone else to help Utilize that voice uh, it It's amazing And I actually Value those workshops Before like when I was just Kind of like a young writer like oh my gosh I'm so terrible I have like 10 pages of notes (laughs) and stuff but the more you develop your your craft you're very much appreciative of the voices because you're just so used to hearing it from your perspective that you might miss something Mm -hmm. so having people read your work out loud uh, whether it's good advice bad advice or just their honest feelings is you know like ultimately for me it's the help uh, bring the story uh, to life and make it make sense because they 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 want you to succeed in the story that you are trying to tell. Because I I know I want to tell this story, but there's also times where you you're not too sure about some of the journeys and
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: like and I don't always have the most creative brain outlet. So having other folks in the room is. It's it's always an amazing feeling. But always nervousness sure. too, because you are sharing something <laughs> yeah. that you you wrote. So
0: <laughs> it does feel vulnerable. Oh, absolutely.
1: Cause you know, like, oh, I just poured months and months into this and now I've got like twenty pages of notes, but you know, me All of a
0: sudden everyone's <laughs> got fifteen opinions on what you just did and there's like 20 people in the room and they've all got a way they would change it. I know. Yeah.
1: It's also comes to the difference of if you're being commissioned to kind of write this story, whereas this one, mm-hmm. um, I wrote on my own. So right. that one is coming right from, from here. Whereas as my, yes, I did write the story, but there were things that were set in place that was definitely the the driving point which was yeah the mixed martial arts this and that and this one where like no one asked me to write this cuz we're or playwrights sometimes we'll just get something to, to that we want to write and just think about and so this one came from a complete uh, just within 3 days i ended up like waking up and cuz this was something that it, uh, I wanted to write something based on, on the character that was influenced from my auntie. So I'd say, I mean, whether it makes sense or not, that's what was kind of a difference. Whereas here's the things I'd like you to have in the story. Whereas this one was just, I just kept going. This came from yeah. me. And later when we bring in actors and other readers, it's to help build build it help structure it much better because that was such a um, it felt like a very personal uh, journey and I knew that it wasn't going to be although I wrote the story in three days because it was like a nervous tick and I couldn't stop writing even though the first draft was (laughs) like awful uh that was the starting Volunt point
0: pass that's allowed yeah yeah absolutely
1: that was my starting <laughs> point and yeah I just kind of kept it to myself and then finally started to preview it and I knew that the yeah. although it was written in three days I knew that uh working on this story was going to take time I knew it couldn't be rushed so I was I was okay with that so this shadows was uh, a five year journey
0: you mentioned really briefly your aunt I I read that you you wrote it to find closure over your aunt's death H- how did it help you?
1: I'd like to think that death is not the end road for us and I want to have that you know like having that sense that she is finding a journey. Mm-hmm to happiness or just yeah it was just because of the circumstances around uh, her her passing that had like always stuck with me like I couldn't shake it off just because of the significance um, she was living in Toronto at the time and my dad has uh, like he's like a family of nine siblings and the starting point of this was uh, my dad was just sitting in the living room with my mom and they were watching tv and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere my dad looks over to my mom and he said you know I haven't talked to my sister Leah in a long time he could have said any one of his other brothers sisters or anyone but it was his sister that he just kind of said out of the blue and then a few days later that's when we found out of her passing and was actually at the time that my dad said that comment so even though he was here in Saskatoon and her being out there no matter what the distance of them that family bond he 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 knew he knew he felt something off and that was, that was a driving point uh, for me. There's a lot of elements on her life that helped develop the character of Elaine. So she did take off, her nickname was Dusty from the Prairies, Mm -hmm. you know, and she, like her, you know, she had moved to Toronto, she got married, had kids, but her husband was hit by a cab, and I remember her calling my dad because she was only, she wanted one of her nieces or nephews to come spend time, and I just remember them saying, um, no, we can't send our young kids out there. And so there is yeah. just, like, looking back on her life or even just before that because her and my dad were... Um, survivors of the Marybel uh, residential school mm-hmm. so just thinking about like it just left me a whole lot of different feelings of like I wouldn't be here if my dad hadn't come out of that school or thinking about the circumstances around my aunt because out of all the siblings those two were the ones that were forced to, go to that school so when Hmm. the mass graves were revealed and just like I really like I understood what intergenerational trauma was uh, but you feel it It it's really hard to explain we're like well you didn't go that didn't happen like it i very much but it's bel- part
0: of you it is
1: part of me yeah. always and that's what was some of the things when i looked back on creating the stories or elements that i didn't realize were were there were because of just things that were always a part of me that just made it into the story without me even thinking about it
0: beautiful thank you so much for sharing yes. that <laughs> it's amazing Out of that workshop or any workshopping process for that show, uh, Shadow Among the Prairies, what was the biggest change you felt happen?
1: Oh, uh, for me, it was the the journey and character of Gary. Okay. Because Gary didn't really, like, I knew what he was inspired by. Um, but I didn't. Ha- I had to create actually a backstory from because I didn't have one for him. Because, and this part is also an Easter egg. True, is um, when my auntie. Yeah, she actually when she was living out in Vancouver, uh, she had a best friend, and they party, did all sorts of like things, and. Someone did like, you know, like they found a gun and I, uh, she in her, you know, like intox- very intoxicated mind and stuff had said like, oh, I never held a gun before or anything like that. And her buddy gave her the gun. And because he was also in- very much intoxicated, he he dared her to shoot him. And uh, <laughs> yeah so she ended up doing time as well. so the character of Gary w- came from f- from that uh, from her friend that she she had killed mm. years ago and that's what inspired that part of like running into this individual that she was responsible for killing I mean it was by accident she didn't do much time yeah. but because that's all I like... Th- that's all I remembered about him was like she had killed her best friend. So what changed the most was Gary. Who is Gary? Who is this person? Right. So he he was there, but he also he just didn't have his own story. And I wanted to create those those moments, uh, his death beforehand, what kind of person he was like. They were really good friends from from what i recall uh from my dad what he shared so that was a big change in the story was really
0: well it's also um a nice way to while also honoring your aunt Mm -hmm. honoring her best friend on stage too yeah Okay, um I would love to ask you a little bit about uh the Indigenous Cities project oh, through yes. the National Art Center. I was really taken with the idea of an urban art gallery. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could speak to that a little bit more?
1: Well, like it was such a cool idea. Like this was like during the pandemic lockdown and mm. uh, the the thought of you know, like where the treaties are and what are moments that really impact our connection to to the land and not just like the stories, but like where that took place. So I thought it was interesting when we had these beginning meetings, not only of just creating opportunities for Indigenous artists, but also finding the street cornered or something like special that happened there, or a memory or... Uh, feeling, you know, and just like highlighting that because, you know, there's all sorts of like, you know, whether there's good things happening, bad things happening, or things that we just didn't know. So it is also finding kind of like a discovery of of Saskatoon or Treaty Six because they're these were people that I known for a while but I never mm-hmm. knew about these particular places that you would go to with your iPod or phone whatever, I thought it was really neat that you would go to the location and then you could hear the story playing of the significance of that location. And I thought that was really cool.
0: When you're around Saskatoon now, having done this project, do you feel differently when you're in those areas? Do you attach those memories to that spot now?
1: I do. It certainly holds, it, it holds more meaning for sure because... Like even with the story of like the, that the memory of Gordon, you know, like when I pass by that location, all I think about, and here is the story that was shared with me. So it's more than just a that hub of coffee and going to meetings mm-hmm. and stuff. There's something special about it it's more than that it's you know sometimes it's at that location where a pivotal moment in your life changed you and having that in the locations that are close by I'm now not just like oh I have somewhere to be I find myself taking that moment and thinking something more that's more than just like a sidewalk or passing by the mall. I'm thinking about things that I never would have given two cents
0: about. And what is it like to hold on to somebody's gifted memory that way? It's not your memory, but how does it make you feel to have someone else's memory mean so much?
1: I certainly felt an honor and a privilege. And originally I wasn't to us. I didn't have myself down as one of the, the storytellers, like when I mm-hmm. had approached uh, our Irene Oakes, who's the adopted daughter of Gordon and, you know, co board chair. And I said, it'd be wonderful if you could take part of this project. Is there a memory that you would share And uh, she did. She was kind enough to tell me this story. And then it was my job to find an artist to pair up, to help, you know, like collaborate and help enlighten her, this precious memory of hers. And I struggled with thinking about who to bring on to, to take, to take this memory. And it wasn't out of just, you know, like, oh, uh, It's like, well, I'm just going to go do it. No, I felt an importance to it as someone that, you know, like we are a company that's named after him. He Mm -hmm. is a pivotal pillar of the bringing of this company. And I I don't know. I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that uh, I've been with the company the the longest. I just felt like I should, you know like i i talked to her about it i said i i feel like i should be the one to help care for this memory and absolutely yeah so it was it was such an honor to receive this gifted memory this moment because I know how much the the company means to me and a lot of members of the community mm-hmm. so even though it wasn't my area of expertise of doing audio works um what drove me was yeah just that uh, that love for that love for Gordon that understanding of like sometimes it's that pivotal moment that makes you work harder into being just a better human being you know
0: I really enjoyed listening to that story, so I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad you. that you took it on. Would you say that you've had any instrumental mentors in your life?
1: Ooh, I would have to say there's certainly been a lot of instrumental um, folks. If I had to go start back from the beginning of that circle, uh, I would definitely say the start of that was uh, our artistic director at the time which was Kenneth Charlotte who really gave me gave me something to do on the stage you know and just like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know he was the start to that journey when he started talking with us meeting with us and then with the playwright at the time Dion Casocchio. uh And then just like other artists along the way. And I know I could just keep naming them off, but there'd be moments in my life where I wasn't quite too sure. I was like, what if I'm not doing the right thing? What if I'm losing the passion? Or like maybe this is not what I'm meant to do because that, you know, like those feelings of uncertainty or just like doubt will start to peek in. So what really helped drive those away was like people like Keith Barker. Kenneth Charlotte Mm -hmm. uh sorry I said his name already um Kenneth (laughs) T Williams you know Yvette Nolan (laughs) they were all these phenomenal Mm -hmm. people that I met along the way that you know was assuring on my path and just like reigniting that flame wherever it felt like it was starting to dim um it was just even just saying hi or hearing them talk or having their their thoughts uh on my works and seeing how they work was just like, okay. It it really helped me keep uh, going on, on my path.
0: Nice. Okay. One last question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received hands down?
1: Fear does not control you only if you let it.
0: We're going to carry that one forward. (laughs) Anyone who's listening to this podcast, do not let fear control you. Only if you let it, it will. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Jennifer Dawn Bishop. It was so lovely to talk with you today. And I'm so excited for everyone to hear this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: On today's show, I sat down with playwright Jennifer Dawn Bishop and we discussed her shows Iskateo, Shadow Among the Prairies, and Gordon. Stage Right is brought to you by the Globe Theatre in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada Council for the Arts, my associate producers Tanner Zare and Riley Hardwick, who wrote all of our awesome music for the podcast, Chris Haynes, our sound engineer, and me, Sierra Haynes. If you want to keep up with our theatre online, find us on Instagram at Globe Theatre Live. And if you'd like to see what I'm up to, you can find me online at The Sinking Canoe. Thanks for listening, and please, exit stage right. Until next time. Cheers! We're officially open.